This episode is brought to you by FX's The Veil, starring Elizabeth Moss. FX's The Veil is an international spy thriller that follows two women as they play a deadly game of truth and lies on the road from Istanbul to Paris and London. One woman has a secret, and the other has a mission to reveal it before thousands of lives are lost. FX's The Veil, now streaming, only on Hulu. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, ROM criminals. Did you know that we are now offering bonus content on Patreon? That's right. Just go to patreon.com slash romcrime for some fun extra content. Seriously fun, guys. Seriously fun. That's right. <laughs> we love you and thank you for your support. All right, I guess let's hop into it. Vaughn, tell the people who you are. Uh, hi, everyone. I'm Vanya. I'm the Rom. I love you, Vanya. And I'm Avrin, and I'm the crime, and this is Rom Crime. This is our true crime comedy podcast that has... Romantic... Ooh. <laughs> that has romantic... Oh, my God, I can't say it. Romantic... Oh, God, what do I say? Sad neighbors? <laughs> no. Romantic sad neighbors. That maybe doesn't work, but only because, no. like, how can a sad neighbor be romantic? No, that's true. Let's say that has romantic secret admirers. Okay, we'll go with it. This story is so sad and so it's awful. So and yeah. so that was a hard one to, like, try to come up with something cute and kitschy when you're like, everything is just going to feel terrible. That's right. Welcome um, to Rom well, Crime, where everything we say makes you feel terrible. <laughs> well, you know what's funny, Avrin, is I just discovered something about myself. So you know that I deal with like sort of everything and with humor. Yeah. But I also am, a, I just found out that I'm a highly sensitive person too. So that's a really fun mix. Most highly sensitive people are introverts. However, I'm an extrovert. There's a small little cluster of people who are uh extroverts and feed off energy of others but I also am highly sensitive my husband would tell you that I'm really fun to live with <laughs> well you know that's so interesting Vanya because that's not something I think I've ever really thought about are those like those qualities being an extrovert and highly sensitive is not commingling because I would also I kind of would think of myself similarly like yeah. I definitely feed off the energy of other people but man do I also feel like it doesn't take very much to just mm -hmm. 
shatter and destroy, you know? Yeah, exactly. But I also think that's, that's, um, it's not a bad thing. That's just a, that's a human thing, you know? It's, no, it's true. You're right. And I've, I'm learning and I'm reading a book and I don't have the title on it. So next time I'll let you know, but it's sort of learning how to use that hypersensitivity and, um, empath, empath, empathic personality to as yeah. a superpower so absolutely because that is a superpower in my opinion I think you know when we talk about true crime one of the things that most uh, horrible awful criminals have in common is a complete lack of empathy it's literally <laughs> right. a defining trait of serial killers and rapists and bad people in general is that they don't yeah. feel empathy so for all of us that feel immense amounts of empathy mm. I feel like we should personally treat that like we're the goddamn like <laughs> best people on the planet. All empaths are the best because oh, well, because I it means that. we feel not only our own pain but we truly experience other That's people's true. pain and struggle because it's just because you have empathy. That's I important. Can, I can attest to that. I've definitely been very sad for a lot of time, especially lately. Today is. If you again, if you find this podcast six years from now, today is what is today, June eighteenth, twenty twenty. So this, and it is, yeah, this episode will come out on uh, Juneteenth. Right now in the country, there's an uprising, a great, wonderful Black Lives Matter, and a police uh, sort of questioning uprising happening right now. Yeah. But yes, it's been very, it's been very full of feelings and emotions and wanting to do the right thing and knowing knowing how to do it and sometimes just listening and and being you know so all the feels all the feels but guess what last night this is completely off off of the subject but I was like I was not in a place to feel good I was feeling sorrow just with life and everything and my husband was like we should watch Rocket Man and I'm like I don't want to feel happy I don't want to like be joyful at all like and also I was like well what if it's sad and I'm sure there's something awful about it it was so wonderful. Have you seen it? No, but it's so funny that you say that because last night my husband and I were trying to figure out, you know, toward, I think it was like, you know, 9, 9.30 that time. And you're like, what should we watch, honey? <laughs> <laughs> no one can go anywhere or do anything. Um, and so <laughs> I just was like, I'll just pick something. And I pressed play on Rocket Band and it started. And my husband looked at me and he was like, mm, I'm, I'm not... I'm not really feeling like that's not kind of the kind of movie I was feeling like watching. And I was like, oh, OK, fine, which is fine because I get it. Like we watch a lot of <clears throat> movies and stuff. And our favorite genre is the, you know, horror slash thriller genre. Right. And I really I picked it because one, I've heard it's excellent. And two, it's it was so free. Good. It was free right. on Amazon Prime. And yep. I'm I'm feeling like we need to really rein it in on the five ninety nine and more rental purchases. Totally. But. There was this movie that I had been really, really curious about seeing for a long time that now you don't have to spend $20 on. You just have to spend like $5.99 on it called The Hunt. Oh. Have you heard of this? So this no. was actually pulled from theatrical release because it was meant to be released right around the time um, that the mass shootings um, in, I believe, in Texas and... What was the other state? It was the one that was at Walmart and then the one that happened like within less than 24 hours in the bar oh. scene a few states away. Oh. Um, I wasn't planning on talking about this, so Pulse, I clearly didn't. It? it wasn't Pulse. No, it was the one that just happened where the guy came and was like trying to to shoot 
Mexican people who are invaders. Oh, yeah. And then there yeah. was the the mentally ill guy who who shot a couple of, or several people, sorry, at a kind of outdoor bar area. And I can't remember mm. exactly where that took place because I didn't know I was going to talk about this, so I didn't didn't refresh okay. my memory. But The Hunt is basically a movie about a bunch of liberal elites hunting deplorables is like the premise of the movie. And it's complete and utter satire, but it is so, it was fascinating to watch because the idea is the bad guys in the movie are the people that like believe in climate change and believe in like equal rights and believe Mm -hmm. that, you know, like Donald Trump sucks. And then the victims in the movie, and it turns out it's not that simple, obviously, otherwise it wouldn't be smart satire, but the people being hunted are like, you know, people that these liberal elites in the movie would describe as like rednecks and all this stuff. And it was not only entertaining, but it was funny. It made me think. It was action packed. It was bloody and gory and scary and all the things I like in a movie. So oh my God. if that sounds like, you know, you like black satire and violence, check out The Hunt. <laughs> okay. Well, there you have it, folks. Recommendation from Avrin Mackey, The Hunt. But I really Re- do want to watch Rocket Man. You have to. It's, I'm telling you, it was so wonderfully directed. It had such a point of view, and it was very, it had like a sort of magic realism to it that just made Elton my... Elton John. Yeah, it was really wonderful. And then he also has it a was magic about his realism. struggle, you know? Yeah, for sure. Being I a imagine. gay man back when, I don't even know when he was born, but probably 50 or somewhere in there. In the um, 50s? Well, That's- yes. Yeah, I think he was a child in the 50s. So, right. And uh, Bryce Howard plays his mother, and she did a great job. And I oh, will say that I didn't think I could ever forgive her after Jurassic World. Yep. The fucking high heels, people. Oh, my God. But anyways, oh. I'm sorry. We digress. It is probably time for us to start talking about we this. We should. Sorry. This is a very long intro. But you didn't realize we, we were actually guys. listening to, like, a movie review and recommendation podcast, which we should also <laughs> maybe consider starting, Vanya. That's true. If you join us on Patreon, actually... Our next episode for our Patreon patrons will be a review and sort of a fun, uh, yeah, fun review of the movie Empire Records. One of my favorite. Yes, it is a rom-com, people. It sure enough is. Shaka, shaka, shock us with your deviant behavior. (laughs) We're very excited. I can't wait. Okay. But this is not that episode. This is uh, the rom-crime episode about the Jenny Jones show talk show murder yes okay so i wrote this out like full-blown reading you a story time vanya i have pages here sometimes i like to do that sometimes i just make bullet points i was like i'm gonna write it out so in the 90s hollywood discovered that the best entertainment was real life enter the trash talk show we have Jerry Springer, we have Sally Jesse Raphael, we have Montel Williams, and we have Jenny Jones. Now, Jenny Jones started out wanting to be the next Oprah, <laughs> which just makes me, I like guffawed when I read that. She wanted right. to be the next Oprah, but she realized that her ratings were so much better when she used her talk show, her talk show platform to do what I discovered is called Ambush TV. So, Vanya, ambush TV is basically when you bring someone on live television and you ambush them with something that they didn't know, uh, like their spouse has been cheating on them or they aren't really their kid's parent or any other number mm. of really 
horrible, personal, private, painful secrets. Mm -hmm. Scott Amador was a 32-year-old, openly gay, former soldier living in Orion Township in Michigan. Jonathan Schmitz was a 25-year-old soft-spoken waiter also living in Orion Township. In the mid-90s, Scott met Jonathan through a mutual friend named Donna Riley, who just happened to live in the same apartment complex as Scott's brother. In early 1995, Jonathan Schmidt was contacted by The Jenny Jones Show and told that someone had a secret crush on him. He was told that it might be a woman or it might be a man, but the only way to find out was to come on the show. Jonathan was curious, so he agreed. On March 6, 1995, the never-aired episode of Jenny Jones was taped. In the pre-reveal portion of the show, we learn that Scott is there to tell Jonathan that he has a crush on him. In this pre-interview, Scott is basically coaxed, coached, if you will, by Jenny to tell the audience his sexual fantasies about Jonathan. His fantasy that he shares with the audience involves a hammock and strawberries and whipped cream. Then enter Jonathan. They have him take off his headphones and out he comes and he's told that it's Scott that has the crush on him. Now, this episode never aired, but several clips from this taping were used later on in the subsequent mm. trial and whatnot. So you do see, you can see many of the moments. So he comes out, he's told, he's told it's Scott that has a crush on him, and his face freezes in what could only be described as an incredibly awkward smile, and he looks really uncomfortable. In fact, there's like a famous moment, even before he knows about who's going to say they have the crush on him, where he's like saying hi to um, Donna and Scott, and the hug between him and, and Scott is really awkward and just like noticeably kind of strained. So then after, he find, after the reveal is that it's Scott who likes him, Jenny then plays back the tape of Scott telling the audience about how he wanted to tie Jonathan up to a hammock and bring out strawberries and whipped cream. Jonathan laughs uncomfortably and then immediately lets the audience know that he is heterosexual. Everyone seems to be okay. There's no, like, you know, Jerry Springer style, like, fighting or yelling or even, like, confrontation. Everyone's just like, I like you. That's very nice, but I'm not gay. Okay, cool. We're fine. And, I mean, they leave the show. It's, like, no hard feelings. In fact, after the show is done taping, Donna, Jonathan, and Scott all fly back to Michigan together and even go out and grab a few drinks at a bar when they get back. So three days after the Jenny Jones show taping, so it would be March 9th of 1995, Scott left a suggestive note at Jonathan's apartment. After finding the note, Jonathan drives to the bank and withdraws cash. Then he goes and purchases a shotgun and ammunition, and then he drives to Scott's mobile home. A neighbor of Scott's named Gary was actually present when this all went down. Some kind of a physical altercation takes place, and then Jonathan walks to his car, grabs the shotgun, comes back into the mobile home, and shoots Scott two times, killing him. He then drives to a payphone, calls the police, and confesses to what he has done. When asked by the 911 caller why he had shot Scott, Jonathan said through hysterics, that Scott had pulled something really bad on him on the Jenny Jones show. The, the trial became a national obsession. So one man shoots another, immediately calls and confesses, 
and says it's all because this guy took him on Jenny Jones, told him he had a crush on him, and then wouldn't let up after he had told him he wasn't interested. That's Jonathan's story. So the defense's strategy when this goes to trial is to say that Jonathan is an emotionally fragile young man with several different mental health issues, including bipolar disorder, manic depression, and something called Graves, which has to do with like thyroid, but can mm. somehow, I guess, lead to like violent tendencies, although that's incredibly rare. And um, that basically it's kind of a not guilty by reason of insanity defense so much mm. that it's, you know, after feeling like he had been humiliated on national television and then got that suggestive note from Scott that he just snapped. The prosecution argues that this is the most clear-cut case of premeditated first-degree murder that has ever been taken to trial because mm -hmm. his actions of seeing a note and then going and withdrawing cash and buying a gun and driving, driving over to Scott's house, there was an eyewitness who can definitely tell you exactly what happened, and then he confessed. So it doesn't really get more clear than that. Right. But ultimately, this was a trial by media, right? So there's all of this conversation around, you know, how Jonathan was a victim too. Like he should never have been put in a position to be like on national TV and embarrassed because this guy had a crush on him, which I have, of course, so many issues with. So many, and we're going to get into it, but it was a different time in terms of like the overall national conversation about homosexuality. It does not make it a defense. I, I think it's the most horrible concept of a defense ever is to say like, well, the idea of being outed or even suggesting that you might be gay is like the worst thing that could ever happen to you, which is what the defense was trying to say. Um, but ultimately in this time period, and this would have been around 1996 when the trial was going on, the jury felt bad for Jonathan. And they thought that he was a good kid who was put in a horrible situation and that he was also a victim. In fact, there's like, I, I got a lot of my information from, there's this new series on Netflix called Trial by Media. And the very first uh -huh. episode covers this. And so they even show interviews with jurors from the trial that are like, you can just tell he was a good boy, you know, like he has not a bad guy. I just felt so bad for him. So, I mean, they say mm -hmm. that. So Jonathan is ultimately convicted of second degree murder instead of premeditated, sorry, first degree murder. And he is sentenced to 25 to 50 years in jail. However, after the trial concluded, most people in the country that were obsessed in following it believed that the responsibility in the death of Scott Amador fell squarely on Jenny Jones and her talk show's shoulders. After the murder trial ends, Scott's family decides to take the Jenny Jones show to court to sue them civilly as being responsible for Scott's death. And the family hires Jeffrey Figer in the civil case. Now, Jeffrey Figer had made a name for himself by defending Dr. Kevorkian for years. So he was like a, one of those lawyers that, you know, not like a call 1-800-888-888 or whatever, Jacobian Myers. But like it, back in the 90s, he was like somebody who, he was a lawyer that the people knew. Mm -hmm. I guess in the same way that you would know like um, Marsha Clark. Like it was right. a, a, a face people knew. And he was an incredibly dramatic. In fact, he had actually studied drama before going to law school. 
over the top and like completely arrogant, ridiculously full of himself personality. And the perfect example of this is he called himself a master storyteller. And that's how he would win cases is he'd paint the picture for the jury. Uh And just to give you an example of how he would do that, Figer's opening statement in the Jenny Jones trial was two and a half hours long. The statement he made to the jury just to say, this is what I'm going to prove to you guys was two and a half hours long. What? And this trial was an even bigger media circus than the murder trial had been. Figer's argument that because the show profited off of humiliating Jonathan Schmitz and that humiliation was the reason that he ended up killing Scott Amador, that that basically meant that the show was ultimately responsible for Scott's death. The Jenny Jones show's defense, because there really was no legal merit, there is nothing in the law that says that a third party can be responsible for somebody reacting to someone's like words and actions and then choosing to kill them. So within the law, there's really like no Mm. legal argument that will stand up in court that would make the show responsible. And so in order to kind of clearly Figer's doing a good job of making the people think, but yeah, they are responsible. So the, the Jenny Jones show defense basically parades out a bunch of people to, to explain that Jonathan's dad specifically, but his entire family was incredibly homophobic. They were constantly saying bad things about gay people, even like saying, if you are gay, like get out of here, we hate you. And that ultimately after he told his parents what had happened on Jenny Jones, that his father had said the only way to put an end to what was sure to be endless public humiliation was to kill Scott. And so their defense is that he was raised in such a way that that's what created the reaction that he had to the secret crush reveal. Another interesting conversation that was going on as this is all happening is that, so Court TV was this huge, huge, like money-making ratings juggernaut owned, owned by Time Warner. And a lot of people were like, well, isn't the fact that you guys, that Time Warner who owned Court TV, but I believe also owned the network that Jenny Jones was on, was making all of this money by airing the trial that was suggesting that profiting off of people's hardships was immoral and ultimately like responsible for the death of somebody. So then this became this really interesting conversation about the role of media when it comes to trial, when it comes to like trying something in public opinion versus law. And then one of the most interesting parts of the trial was when Jenny Jones herself took the stand. And at first Mm. she totally like held it together and seemed she had a good answer for everything. Like when he said, wouldn't when I think Figer said to her, wouldn't you be embarrassed if you were brought on national television and made to listen to someone that you didn't really know well describe a sexual fantasy they had about you? And he's like, wouldn't that make you feel humiliated? And she goes, oh, I don't know. It might make you feel excited. And everybody kind of laughs. But as he continues to kind of lean in, Figer does an excellent job with making Jenny Jones look real, real bad. And basically he insinuates that she had purposefully, like, goaded, coached, kind of forced Scott to describe a sexual fantasy just so she could play it back for Jonathan because his reaction would be incredible television. And he argued that exploitation equals responsibility. 
Mm. The jury, the jury in this case, sides with the Amadors and awards them twenty-five million dollars in damages. Oh, wow. However, oh, I guess it wasn't Time Warner. Sorry, it was Warner Brothers. Warner Brothers, oh. the parent <laughs> company that owns everything, apparently. Yeah. Um, they they end up challenging this ruling in the Michigan Court of Appeals, and they ultimately win, and the ruling is overturned, and the Amadors never receive a penny oh, from the Jenny that's Jones a show. Bummer. And. Jenny Jones's show was on the air until 2003, and Jonathan Schmitz was released from prison on parole in 2017. And that is the incredibly sad, tragic story of Scott Amador, who I feel like, even in the telling of that story that I just did, I'm like, I don't really know anything about him other than that he was... Uh, openly gay, came from a really loving family that embraced him and never judged him for that in a time where that was really unusual. He also Mm -hmm. happened to be in the U.S. Army and came out while he was in service. So he was clearly like a really proud gay man in a time where that wasn't easy to be. So much so that he wasn't afraid to go on national television and tell a boy he knew that he had a crush on that he had a crush on him, which Mm -hmm. I think makes him brave and makes, I don't know, just makes him seem kind of admirable and somebody who wasn't afraid to be who they really were in a time when that wasn't an easy thing to do. But Mm -hmm. in terms of what you can find about him, it's hard to find stuff. Like his brother describes him as somebody who loved TV, always wanted to be like on TV, which is kind of where the whole concept of going on Jenny Jones came from. Right. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so that's the story. And I, it just brought up a lot of feelings for me when I was like reading about it and watching the documentary just about, well, one, how fucked up that situation was that we there yeah. was a time in the not so distant past. And by that, I mean, I was in 1996. I was a freshman in high school. And being made to potentially seem gay publicly was embarrassing enough to enough people in this country to get you out of like spending your life in jail no chance of parole like you were excused because that could have that was considered by enough people in this country to be such a horrible situation to put in that you had no other choice but to then to do what you did which to me that's unfathomable that is not Mm, that is not something one you should be embarrassed of or two certainly not something that is reason enough to ever hurt somebody over well yeah i mean and that just reminds me of you know lately and all and honestly always the the biggest target right now is trans mm-hmm. women and it's just because there's some bizarre i i honestly cannot wrap my mind around the hate that comes from people like what do you they're not like like in this case okay so he sent another note just say seriously dude i'm not fucking gay so like, we could be friends but if you keep sending me notes then we, we don't we can't be friends like like no guy no guy is gonna force himself on you you know what i mean like right it was a note homophobic yeah yeah like it just it wasn't so, like an so it wasn't silly. it wasn't like an overt act of like he wasn't trying to physically come on to him he left him a note because clearly everything seemed fine after the show they went out and had drinks they were joking around. It was no big yeah. deal. And so, you know, I think that they, the way they kind of describe Scott is like very playful and silly. And it's not a crime to have a crush on someone. 
Um, absolutely not. And people just need, I mean, like the hope that I have is that every no, or that people don't come from shitty families like that, where they're like so afraid of someone being gay that they think that their life is not worthy. That's so sad. That is like, honestly, that's kind of why I made Aaron tell the whole story because I just, I was feeling sad anyways this week and I was like, I can't wrap my mind around it. It's just tragic to the nth degree. And it is. And it's a hard story. And I think that's something that is important because this week in a moment of beautiful, awesome, correct decision-making happening in our government, the Supreme Court ruled that you cannot fire someone based on their sexuality, their gender, their, you know, like you cannot, like LGBTQ people cannot be fired for being who they are. And that included two conservative judges. And so it was a huge deal. It was a beautiful thing to behold. Then another beautiful thing happened where they overturned Trump t- trying to change Obama's um DACA mm-hmm. law where dreamers had the right to, you know, I didn't do my children. research to buff up on children. it. Yeah. The children who basically know no other, no we'll other country. This deported. is their country. They, they now, their rights have been restored. Protected. Yeah. At least for now, you know, until Trump tries to fuck it up again. But it, they've been restored and protected by the Supreme Court. So it was a good week for that. That's true. That it definitely... was a good week of court cases, not a bunch yes. of bullshit court cases this it week made like me I just feel described. Less sad about the state. And you know what the truth is, is so many people coming together, so many things are changed. I think people's mind shifts are changing right now, which is such a beautiful thing. People are having uncomfortable conversations or having conversations at all. Anyways, it's all those two things in particular, though, that that was a light. That was a light. Don't worry, Absolutely. I'm not depressed yet. It's fine. <laughs> but, but I'm kidding. Think, but yeah. No, I think you're right, Vanya. And I think what's what's becoming clear in our current client in the current climate that we all find ourselves in is that you can change your mind. You can have been one of those people on the wrong side of history that thought back in 1996 yes. that being gay was in, or being in, it being insinuated that you were gay was shameful enough. But you can now say I was wrong and I've educated myself and I now recognize that there is nothing wrong with being gay. Being gay is not a choice. Being gay is just something that some people are. Yeah. And that it is it is not something that should ever be used as a weapon against somebody else and that you can change your, you can educate yourself and, and change your mind. And so I think that that's important because I think so many people feel like if they once firmly believed this one thing that they're not allowed to then now believe this thing. And that's just not true because that's also not how people are. Yeah. People's minds are changed all the time, you know? And so I don't know. I feel like that's been an interesting conversation that's been going mm-hmm. on, too, is that, like, it's not just enough now to say, like, oh, I'm not racist. It's you have to, like, actively stand up and be like, no, I'm anti-racist. And it's yeah. not just enough to say, like, oh, I, I don't discriminate against ba- gay people. You have to actively stand up and say you can't discriminate against gay people. Absolutely. I won't allow it. And I just think it's a it's a really good conversation to be having. It's important. It's it's challenging in a beautiful way it's been interesting talking to my parents um you know who are of a different generation like I had this weird 
moment when I was I was watching something and I realized that my dad was 15 years old when this country gave black people the right to vote. Wow. Really? Yeah, because the Civil um, Rights Act was not it didn't pass until 1965. My dad was born in 1950. My dad was 15 years old. And that just like really drove home for me how, yeah, how this, this is not, I mean, like, yeah, the world has not, has not come as far as it needs to come by even like a right. fraction. If that right. is how recently that, that happened. Yeah. And just reeducating yourself on the actual facts, which I realize a lot of people, you know, I'm, I haven't been in school in a long time, y'all. I'm I'm hitting my, my upper 30s here. <laughs> I almost just said I was hitting my upper 40s. I almost just no. <laughs> added a decade to my life. She's the baby of the family here in this rom-crime <laughs> family. But no, you know, like, I'm about to be 38 years old. Yeah. So I graduated from high school where I had to take classes like history before I then went to college and just did theater and music classes. So I wasn't yeah. sta- taking any history classes. So it's been 20 years since I took a history class. And so, you know, you forget shit or you don't, or you find out you you were never taught shit, you know? Right. Did you know there's, um, they're offering a free Yale course on, uh, African-American studies. So I'll link that in the bio. It's pretty cool. I did not know that. That's amazing. I'm like, I want Yale to teach. I could say that I've taken Yale. I've, I've taken a course at Yale. (laughs) We can all say we're students at Yale. Yeah, Exactly. While taking the course. Well, I would actually really like that information. So please link it, but also send it to me. Yeah. Yeah. It's very exciting. My daughter goes to this really cool progressive school and people have been point like punting around awesome, awesome information. And yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you for bringing that one to us. That was, that was a hard one, but it was, uh, it was good to talk about. And I really, if, if you have any homophobia in your heart, Let's just call me. Let's talk this out. Go see a therapist. There's got to be some help for you, too, because that's got to end. This just has to end. It Stop. does. Who people are is not something that you have any any reason to judge or decide is incorrect. Our narrative is our narrative, and it is no one else's, and nobody else's voice has a place in someone else's yeah. narrative. So I'm with you, Vaughn. Like, get help. Talk to people. Yeah. figure out where that where that those feelings come from because they come from you yeah they don't and come maybe from you, you were learned you learned it from your family or something like that right but but you know I think that yeah this is such a, a really important time of self-education and we need to mm-hmm. constantly be reminding ourselves that it is our job to teach ourselves the truth and to and the responsibility to educate ourselves on mm-hmm. all of the 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 bullshit. Yeah. I, I can't come up with a more eloquent word, but the bullshit that people have been dealing with for hundreds yeah. of years and to, to be better. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. Well, on that note, I'd like to uh, shout out one of our new Patreon members, uh, Jackie Arslanian. Hello, lady. Thank you for being a top patronage. Patron? I don't know why I keep saying that. I Anyways. like patronage. Patron- stop patronizing me. I'm kidding. Continue <laughs> to patronize if that's what it means. Um, 
also, I also would just like to randomly shout out, uh, follow the essential bartender on Instagram. It's so fun. Okay. So Avrin did this thing in the beginning of quarantine where she, where you send her like $10 and she'll teach you how to make a cocktail. And so she's got the, all these really, really fun videos out. I'm just saying, bring that back. I think you're sweet. I, I, I took a big old hiatus from that. Um, but well, they things are, are weird. Life is weird. It's hard to even be excited about anything right now. You know what I mean? I'm obviously coming from a dark place, but <laughs> but I can no, always you're drink so a sweet. little booze. Yes, thank you. And I am still, of course, happy to if people want to get cocktail tutorials. There, I they didn't get deleted or anything. So no, no, yes, they're, they're. I would be more than happy to send them your way. And thank you yeah. for the shout out. Yeah. And um, I love you, Vanya. I love you too, Avrin. Thank you guys for listening this week. We love you guys. Stay strong. Keep your ma- your minds open. Keep your yes. hearts open. Keep your hearts open and your minds open. And continue to teach yourself. Educate yourself. I know, God, I have so much to learn. And love is love is love. It is. We love you guys. Long cry.